0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 41, verses 10 through 13, but before I read that, please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Isaiah chapter 41, beginning with verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Yes, all who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, do not fear, I will help you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a child growing up in the church, my mother sang in the choir, which meant that she couldn't sit next to me in worship every Sunday. She would take attendance from the choir loft and made sure that my dad got us to church on time, but it was really my father who taught me how to worship, who sat beside me and made sure I was behaving during worship. My mom might give me the stink eye from the choir loft, but it was my father that really helped me when I was misbehaving or when I was doing something disruptive during the worship service. If I was squirming too much or moving around, my father would just take his hand and put it on the back of my shoulder just to kind of calm me down. Or if I was kicking my feet up against the pew in front of me, my father would just put his hand on my knee so that I would stop kicking. Or if I was fidgeting too much with my hands because I I wasn't allowed to have toys in worship, my father would just offer me his hand and hold my hand. And I can remember vividly as a child sitting in worship looking at my father's hand, examining his hand, looking at the lines in his palm, looking at the veins on the back of his hand, looking at his fingernails, looking at the the creases in his knuckles, even looking at his wedding ring and twirling it around, looking at his wrist and, and the hair and the knot on his wrist. I remember those hands vividly because it was those hands that really helped me to grow up. It was those hands that grabbed the back of my bicycle when I was learning how to ride a bike to hold me up. It was those hands that would pick me up on those moments when I would fall. Those hands that would guide me when I made mistakes and I I needed to, to learn a new lesson. It was those hands that would teach me manners like giving a firm handshake or opening the door for somebody. Those hands that would grab the steering wheel when I was about to hit a ditch when I was learning how to drive. Or those hands that would comfort me when I was sad or hurting. Those hands that would offer me a big hug, welcoming me home when I had been away for a long time. I remember those hands vividly. And those hands are the hands that I think about when I read this passage from Isaiah. This passage from Isaiah 41 takes place right in the middle of the book of Isaiah, a very long book, 66 chapters that covers over hundreds of years, really, of, of history. But right here in the middle, this middle part, we believe, really is a response to the Babylonian Empire and all that the people were going through during that exile The Babylonian Empire had come through and and wiped out the kingdom of Judah and sent the people all over the empire so that they were living for generations in different places. Their homeland had been destroyed and now their culture and their identity was being destroyed day by day. They had been there for so many generations that many of them were starting to forget who they were and to forget about God. They started to believe that the Babylonian gods were maybe more powerful than their God or maybe even that their God didn't really exist at all. It's right then, right in the middle of that despair, right in the middle of that exile, that the prophet Isaiah offers these very hopeful, powerful words. That the hand of God was reaching out to them. Reaching out to hold them up. Reaching out to bring them back. Reaching out to, to take them by the hand. To bring them back to where they belong. To bring them back home, maybe. Those are powerful words. It's such a powerful image, this incredible metaphor of the mighty hands of God. And we see it time and time again all throughout the Old Testament when the hands of God come in and, and correct the people when they're doing the wrong things and comfort the people when they need that comfort. But of course, it's a metaphor. It's, God doesn't work through uh, lightning bolts or earthquakes as, as we might think sometimes. The hand of God really represents the work of God, the action of God, that takes place through other people. When the people needed correcting, the hand of God was representing, a representative of, of the people who would come in and correct the, the things that the people of Israel were doing wrong. Or here in the book of Isaiah, the hand of God that, that comforts the people, that gives the people hope, really comes through the work of a man named Cyrus the Persian. He was the king of Persia, and he came and, and overtook the Babylonian Empire, and he let the people of Judah go home. The hand of God is a metaphor, a way of communicating the work of God through the people of God. Now you may not realize this, but we often communicate through our hands as well. We communicate time and time again. In fact, you can see I'm using my hands a lot right now. I can't a lot of times get out my words if I don't use my hands to help get them out. We communicate through our hands in lots of ways. If you see open hands like this, you might think of hospitality or welcoming. If you see clenched fists like this, you might think of of anger or or frustration or strength or, or maybe defiance. If you see folded hands like this, you might think of reverence or prayer. If you think of a a hand reaching out to someone else, it's a, a way of showing compassion, a way of showing love. I remember a very distinct moment in my life where hands communicated to me that need of love and care. I was traveling with a group of missionaries down through Peru in a little town called Wanta in the middle of the mountains of Peru. And While I was there, we were walking around a corner and we saw a little child, a toddler, no more than a couple of years old really, standing in uh, on the sidewalk by himself. We walked up to him wondering where his parents were and I tried to speak to him but of course he didn't speak English and he jabbered to me in some sort of toddler language that of course I didn't understand. But then all of a sudden, he did something that I did understand. He reached his hands up like this, and I knew what that meant. And if you're a parent, you know what that means too. It means pick me up. It means hold me and carry me. And so that's what I did. Without saying a word, I picked up that child, and we walked down the street, and we found his parents, and we found his home. Those words, without saying a word, we communicate with our hands care for me pick me up and help me we live in a world right now that i think is offering that prayer to god every single day we want god to reach down with god's mighty hands to pick us up to care for us to get us back where we belong because our world feels like it's gone so far astray I have prayed time and time again for God's mighty hands to help us. I've I've prayed for God to offer a cure for this disease that we're struggling with right now. But I've also prayed time and time again for, for God to offer a cure for things like racism, offer a cure for things like bigotry, offer a cure for things like fear and hatred that so often govern the way we treat other people. But in those moments when I offer those prayers and ask for the hands of God to be at work, I need to remember that the hands of God in the Bible really represent the work of God's people. God's people working on behalf of God to help those people around them in need. People who were hurting had the hands of God through the people around them, their neighbors and their friends, and sometimes even their enemies, who worked on God's behalf to help God's will to be done. That's why you and I might sometimes refer to ourselves as the hands and feet of Jesus. We're called to be the hands and feet of God in the world, to help our neighbor, to help those in need. And so when we reach out to help those people around us right now, we're reminding them that the hand of God is with them. When we try to help a child who is hurting during this difficult time or who's hungry during this time, we're reminding that child that the hand of God is with them or when we reach out across racial boundaries or political boundaries or or neighborhood boundaries, whatever boundaries you have, when we reach out across those boundaries, we're reminding people that the hand of God is with them by asking for forgiveness or offering forgiveness. We're reminding people that the hand of God is at work this day and every day. And I know for a fact that our world needs the hand of God to work our world needs the hand of God to move and to act. And that's what our song, our hymn this morning is all about. That's why our hymn is such an appropriate anthem for times like this. The song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. It's not a song that we're super familiar with in our church, but I tell you, in black historically black churches, it's a very familiar song. It's a song that they think of as anointed by the Holy Spirit. It was a song born out of the despair and the pain of a young man named Tommy Dorsey in the 1930s. Tommy Dorsey was a wonderful jazz musician, and and he wrote this song after experiencing pain and despair in his own life. I want to share that story with you, but instead of me sharing it, I'm going to let some friends of ours, two friends from Leon High School, share this story with you. A a young man named Sam Scriven is going to share the words of Tommy Dorsey himself, and then a wonderful woman named Maya Barber is going to share this hymn with you. So let's listen to this story, and maybe in those words, we can hear the words of the prophet Isaiah saying, the right hand of God is reaching out to us to hold fast to us and to carry us home.
1: Back in 1932, I was 32 years old and a further new husband. My wife, Nettie and I lived in a small apartment on the south side of Chicago. Now, one hot August afternoon, I had to go to St. Louis where I was to be the featured soloist at a large revival meeting. But I didn't want to go. Nettie was in the last month of pregnancy with our first child. But a lot of people were expecting me in Chicago. I kissed Nettie goodbye, clattered downstairs to our Model A, in, in a fresh Lake Michigan breeze, chugged out of Chicago on Route 66. However, outside the city, I discovered that in the anxiety at leaving, I had forgotten my music case. I wheeled around and headed back, I found Nettie, sleeping peacefully. I hesitated at her bed, something was strongly telling me to stay. But eager to get on my way and not wanting to disturb Nettie, I shrugged off the feeling quietly slipped out of the room with my music. The next night, in that steaming St. Louis heat, the crowd cheered me on to sing again and again. And when I finally sat down, a messenger boy came up to me with a Western Union telegram. I ripped open the envelope and There on that yellow sheet, pasted there were the words Your wife just died People around me were happily singing and clapping And I could hardly keep from crying out I rushed to a phone and called home Yet all I could hear on the other end was, Nettie is dead. (laughs) Nettie is dead. When I got home, I learned that Nettie had given birth to a boy. I jumped between grief and joy Yet in that same day, the baby died. I buried Nettie and our baby boy together in the same casket, and then I fell apart. For days, I closeted myself. I felt that God had done me an injustice. I didn't want to serve him anymore or write gospel songs. I just wanted to go back to that jazz life I once knew so well. But then, as I hunched over alone, dark apartment, those first days of sadness. I thought back to the afternoon I went to St. Louis. Something was telling me to stay, was that something God, or if I had just listened to him a little closer, I would have stayed and, and been with Nettie when she died. From that moment on, I vowed to listen more closely to him. But I was still lost in grief, and everyone was kind to me, especially a friend, uh, Professor Fry. The next Saturday evening, he took me to Malone's Paro College, a neighborhood music school. It was quiet. The late evening sun crept through the curtain windows. I sat down at the piano and my hands began to browse over the keys. Something happened to me then. I felt at peace. I felt as though I could reach out and touch God. I found myself playing a melody. Once into my head, everything fell into place, it seemed. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me on, let me stand, I'm tired, I'm weak, through the storm, through the night, take me on into the light, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. The Lord gave me those words and the melody. And also healed my soul. I learned then that when we are in our deepest grief and feel furthest from God, that's when he's closest to us. And when we are most open his restoring power. And so I go on living for God until the day comes when he will take me and gently lead me home.
2: Push slow. Good Hold my hand.